0: All right, so we're back. It's uh, Rob Cohen, and Phil is back after a long hiatus in which uh, he's been doing a lot of reading. I've been doing a, a lot of reading as well, but um, not quite as many books as, as Phil has been reading. So uh, I think what we'll do is we'll get a little catch-up. Now, I know in the past a few episodes, I've done a lot of talking about Harry Bosch and the TV show, and it seems like the TV show at this point is ancient news, because it's already come and gone pretty much. It's already been approved for a second season, which I'm told isn't going to really be on air until sometime in 2016. Um, but nevertheless, it seems like it's, for the most part, it, it hit its wave and got a, a lot of attention and a lot of activity. And now it's been probably a month or so since it's been on. And, you know, I still see Facebook posts and things like that. But um, I haven't talked to Phil. You, I haven't talked to you about the show too much. Um Obviously, I binge-watched it. Um, I don't know whether you binge-watched it as well. I know you were trying to read some of the books, kind of catch up, didn't want to read, uh, didn't want to see the show until you'd seen the, or until you read the books that were based on it. So how about we do this? Let's start a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what you thought of the show. Then you can catch me up on the reading you've done, and then we'll figure something else out from there. How's that sound? It <laughs> sounds good. Well, uh, yeah, I did I did watch um, the whole series all 10 episodes of Bosch um I watched them over the course of a couple of days um and you're right I wanted to make sure that I had read up through the books and the series that were covered in the show before I started watching the show so that there weren't any spoilers um I enjoyed the show it was very helpful for me and probably as as a viewer a little bit detrimental because all of the books were so fresh in my mind, watching the show and seeing where the discrepancies were and where the creative license was taken in order to make a little bit more compelling television than a 400-page book, uh, differences that uh, differences from the books to the show, and then connections that were made uh, between or connections that were made amongst three of his novels in order to create the show that really weren't there, obviously, in the books. Because, as you know, each one of the books pretty much is a standalone. And what the show did was attempt to take three books and connect them and weave them into a cohesive plot for ten episodes. So, having, having been reading the books and and the books being so fresh in my mind i was a little bit disappointed with the show um but i can understand how somebody who had been reading the books from the very beginning and had then you know obviously this many years later watched the show would have definitely really really enjoyed it and i'm looking forward to season two where i will be one of those people as well because now i've caught up and i've read all the books i know that season two is going to be you know something much much more enjoyable for me um One of the things that I found most difficult in the beginning was I never pictured Titus Wolliver as the main character. I pictured somebody else, which coincidentally ended up being um, Crate or Barrel, one of the two. I don't know which one. But but it's just because, yeah, it's just because in the um, years and years and years of reading detective novels and reading crime stories, I just have a prototype picture of a detective in my mind and it comes from um the character of lou bolt from the ridley pearson novels that's who i always pictured and actually to, to be perfectly honest to to pinpoint it i always pictured george zunza from basic instincts which was michael douglas's partner he's the guy i always pictured as that that fedora wearing uh trench coat wearing Gumshoe who's you know, you know divorced and drinks and drives an old beat up car and solves murders because this is his calling. So that was always the picture that I had. Um, obviously understanding that the literary character of Harry Bosch is a Vietnam vet and the um, television character being a Gulf War vet. That changes a lot of the perspective that I had as well, because, you know, like you've mentioned in some of your other podcasts, a lot of the um, interest in Bosch comes from seeing him grow and change over the years as technology has changed. And there are definitely things that he is resistant to in technology he still writes his murder book by hand he still writes his warrants by hand he doesn't google he he leaves all of the internet investigation to whoever whoever whichever of his partners he has at the time because he's always older some of that did come off in the show you know he he still uses a flip phone and you know i i don't think he had a computer on his desk oh wait a minute he did um but you never saw him really using it. So there were there were some of those little elements that came into the show that, that were interesting little tidbits, but still kind of separated him from the books because of the difference in the time frames. I think that I personally would have been happier to see the shows taking place in the 90s, in the early 90s. You know, there's no reason they could not have made this a period piece. There's no reason that they could not have allowed for the character to grow over the seasons just as he grew throughout the books. Um, but as I started watching the show and as I got into it, I became much more comfortable with Titus and I became much more comfortable with him, with, with Jerry, um, his captain, or his lieutenant, I thought was perfect. Yep, Bullets was spot on and i've been a fan of hers for a little while she was on being human she's she's had she's had a career that i've known about so seeing her in this role she was really great they did do very well of adding little pieces of backstory and little pieces of business for each of the characters so that when it comes back into second season they can expand on that ergo bullets relationship with kids and jerry's side business of doing real estate and you know little things like that and and obviously harry's relationship with his daughter and with his ex-wife all those kinds of things that they can build upon for you know seasons and seasons to go you mentioned that the season's not going to come back till you know probably beginning or middle of next year and it's a it's a pro, but it's also a con to having an internet-based show. You know, we we are now in a in a situation in in this in in this generation with technology where people don't have to go to television to watch their shows. I still have very few shows, if any, that are appointment television for me. Everything you know, life gets in the way, so you have to TiVo everything and you know, other than Justified and the Americans that I intend and try and shoot to watch every week, the shows really don't exist anymore, and most people do get their entertainment from binge-watching. So in order to have a show like Bosch, like A House of Cards, like the last season that they did of Arrested Development, in order to do that on the internet, you need to release all the episodes at once. So whereas a show like Justified will start their season with four episodes already in the can still shooting. You can't do that with these internet-based shows. So if it takes three weeks to shoot an episode and then two weeks after that to do the post, that's five weeks per episode, not to mention the amount of time that's spent in the beginning doing the development and the art, and, uh, the development, the production design, the writing, the casting, in order to do that for 10 episodes you're talking about a lot of time that has to take place so a year it's probably about right it's gonna feel long but then it's gonna go by really quickly and and i think it's gonna be really exciting to see how bosch changes and interesting to see which of his books they choose to go with next because they really have taken an opportunity to set up the rest of them so you don't know which books they're they're doing for episode I, I two? Know. Oh, okay, because that that's already been released. They've I'll, already I'll, mentioned which books tell it was. Me, I'll tell you what. I think. got my list here. Tell me. Who you think okay. Well, I was actually pretty pretty. I'll tell you in a second. I'll tell you in a second, because there was a couple of things you said that I I wanted to comment about. One of the things you mentioned about the technology and watching Harry grow through the books as his as the technology has grown and his resistance to it. There's a a scene I recall in the one you just finished, the most recent book, the Burning Room. Where he and his partner are driving to, uh, I don't remember if it's Palm Springs, Riverside, whatever it was, someplace in the 909, and he's using an iPad. I think either he is or she's using an iPad to give them directions for for the uh, for maps. And I remember distinctly thinking. That's not a Harry Bosch thing. Harry's right. not going to be using an iPad in the car to help him get around anywhere. You know, he's the kind of guy who's going to take out his Thomas Brothers Guide and he'll, well, he's not going to, well, he he will, but for the most part, he already knows his way around right. wherever it is. So I, I find that kind of interesting. That's okay. That I've got an even better one. You mentioned Thomas Guides, first of all. In, the, in that same book, he pulls out his old Thomas guides because they're chasing a case that's 21 years old. He pulls out his Thomas guides, he pulls out the pages and he sticks up on the wall to map out where everything happened. So that is definitely Harry Bosch thing. I'll go back even a couple books ago to someplace that's even more interesting. In Nine Dragons, he talked about how he got his first uh, Android. I think it was an Android. That his daughter got him so that they could Skype together. And when he's in Hong Kong and he finds the um, lair, or yeah, where she was being held, he finds a burned-up cell phone. And his partner there says, "What is that?" And he says, "This is my daughter's phone. How do you know? Because she got me the same one." So that's another step into him moving into the next generation with the technology. Uh, I, I I don't know if this isn't something that I've talked about. Here, um, prior to the airing of the episodes of the show, there was an event at um, right off the top of my head, I don't remember, some movie theater in uh, Beverly Hills that uh, Amy and I got to go to. We got we got tickets. Somebody friend of ours got us tickets, and it was an evening with uh, Michael Connolly and Titus Welliver, and they aired the first episode of the show. This is separate, by the way, listeners, from the previous event that I discussed where we went to the Cinerama Dome and saw the first two episodes. This is actually a week later. It it was the evening before all the episodes were released. So it was Friday, uh, Thursday the 13th because everything was released. Oh, no, it was Thursday the 12th. Everything was released on uh, Friday the 13th of February. And after the episode had been aired, they had Michael Connelly and Titus over talk a little bit. They were interviewed by a moderator, and then they allowed it to, uh, allowed uh, audience members to ask questions. And... I don't remember whether it was an audience member who asked the question or it came up during the moderation. Um, But the question did come up about why the decision to bring Harry Bosch into the 21st century, not to have him be either in his 60s already as a current day or transport the entire show back to the mid-90s and start there. And, um, it was an interesting discussion. they They realized that they couldn't base a story. They couldn't base a series off of a character who is at this point ready for retirement. They couldn't They didn't feel that there was a long enough history. But they also didn't want to have to go through the process of trying to recreate mid-1990s Los Angeles so they updated everything you know they brought Harry into the 21st century and instead of the Vietnam tunnel rat they made him the Gulf War etc and so that was kind of their their thinking now you also have to understand that Michael Connelly had been fighting for years to get his character back he had um, earlier on in his career when the book started to become very successful they were optioned And a lot of the books, if not all the books, had been optioned by one of the major studios, whether it was Paramount, Universal, I don't know what it was. And um, the option was for however length of time it was, and it sat. And the studio would not make the films. And uh, if I understand correctly, I'm sure there's more nuances to that than that. Michael Connolly actually had to sue to get the rights back to make the Harry uh, Harry Bosch character into either movie or 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 uh, television and ended up spending a lot of his own money i, th- I heard someplace i think he ended up paying like three million dollars in order to buy the option buy the rights back so that he could um he could do something with the harry bosch character and develop it and so having understood the history of Connolly's struggle to get the character back it puts me as the longtime devoted reader in the position of basically feeling as if Michael Connolly can do no wrong. <clears throat> for as much as he had to fight, for as much as it cost him personally, and I'm sure emotionally, to finally have succeeded in in getting the rights back, to now have the opportunity to basically do whatever he wanted. The answer is, if you think Titus Williver is the guy, then he's the guy. If you think it needs to be a 21st century and Harry Bosch is in his 40s, then that's what it's got to be. And it's not my place to argue because there's no more nobody more pure about the character than the guy who created it and to see on a couple of different occasions uh, Michael Connolly speak about the project to speak about the character to speak about the the casting of Titus Welliver and and how committed and devoted he was to the project not like you know blood work and Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood was way too old and yada 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 where you know in in, in the, the the typical, Um, experience of the author is they write the book they option the book and then they're not consulted any further this is michael Connolly, who was who is present through every step of the way and if he says it's right then the answer is it's right and who am i to judge and so for me after having the 19 year 20 year history with with harry bosch to turn on the first episode and watch the answer was this is it it has to be it because my interpretation, my my vision of the character cannot be better than the author himself. And if this is what the author envisioned, then I'm cool with that. And what's, what's interesting is Connolly mentioned that there were a lot of instances in the first episode, and I'm sure in the further episodes as well, where he tried to not put in like Easter eggs, but to really hammer home a lot of. The demons that Harry Bosch faces, and he he mentioned at the outset in the first episode that as soon as he um, gets into the car and they start they start following their suspect, they go through a tunnel. And he says it's very deliberate. They went through a tunnel. You remember at the end of the series, episode ten, when they finally catch the bad guy? It's in a tunnel. Right. It's underground. It's it's you know it's in a in the book. it's and that may be. But for those of us who don't remember. Right. It doesn't mean anything to us. It's it's more along the lines of it's the way that we perceive Connolly saying to the readers, I haven't forgotten who this character is. This is where he, A, belongs, and B, fears. And and the tension that built at the end of that episode, I don't. it may have been the ninth episode when they catch the bad guy, actually, as uh, I think about it, uh, yeah. um, the tension that's built is the tension... Not just from the situation, but the reader has the tension because the reader sitting there watching him saying, this is his history. This is who he is. And even though they briefly explain it at the beginning of, of season of uh, episode two when he's talking to the, um, the ME and he's explaining that he was a tunnel rat and all that stuff. and he don't really touch back on that anywhere else during the series, the readers get it the readers understand that this is not where he belongs, but it's exactly where he belongs. Um, and so for, from that standpoint, I, you know, it's a, it's a can do no wrong. Um, and I watched it with Amy, who has not read anywhere near as many of the books that I have, or even as you have, um, and maybe even just a handful of them. Um, and so I got to watch it from her perspective to see what, what, what she got out of it, to see how she reacted to it. And I was surprised. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised that she reacted very well to it. It's, it's dark, it's gritty, it's uncomfortable. Um, it's at times grotesque and um, uncomfortable to watch, obviously. But she gravitated towards it. She took it. She accepted it. She understood it. And, and, and I think at the end of this, the 10 episodes, she was clamoring for more and when i say that the next season isn't going to be till 2016 or whatever it is and i understand the explanation of how long it will take to produce the the unfortunate byproduct of the online television show is because we binge watch yeah. it feels like it's it's that much longer to get yeah, to as opposed to spreading it out over weeks you also lose the momentum of the show i mean you lose you know you've only got 10 episodes whereas you know shows that I just mentioned you get 15 or 16 or even you know 22 for some but you bring up a really good point and like I said I I I totally agree with everything you're saying but I'm I'm viewing it from the I'm viewing it as a person who is reading the books at the same time that I'm watching so everything is completely fresh so all of my uh, criticisms are really just coming from the fact that it's because everything's so fresh in my mind. Like I said, going into next season and watching without that fresh perspective of the stories and of the characters, I'm sure that my um, enjoyment of the of the series will be, you know, that much better. So, but tell me, okay, so which epi- which books are going to be in the next episodes? All right. So after the first season was ended, or actually, as I after I knew which books the first season was. I remarked that I thought that the third season would be The Last Coyote. I figured that The Last Coyote is the fourth book in the series, but it's also the one where he finds, he goes and searches for his mother's killer. Fourth. Fourth. It's the fourth book, right after Concrete Blonde. And so I figured that the third season would be a ripe opportunity for The Last Coyote because. By that point, the the viewers would have had two years to get in touch with Harry Bosch. The important thing about The Last Coyote is you have to be, if I recall correctly, again, I read it so long ago, you have to be um, emotionally connected to the character for The Last Coyote to resonate with you because you have to feel as if you've now been through some wars with him and now there's a passion that he has, separate and apart from the freedom he has because he now is off the, off the job for whatever reason it was, I don't remember, but... You have to understand the passion he has to go take the trip to, to find his wife, his mother. Okay, can I? I'm going to guess. I'm gonna, I'm going to tell you right now that The Last Coyote is season two. I'm going to guess. And the reason I'm going to guess is because in the books, he is investigating the um, death of his mother when he is on... Um, on leave from the department for pushing his boss through the glass and he did that at the end of the first season of the show Correct. so that was why I thought prior to watching the show that's why I thought season 3 I don't know how much of The Last Coyote will be in season 2 however that is one of the books that is expected to be the basis the other two books which I understand just based on the brief research I've done, the articles I've read the and you take out your list and, and by the way the first one I'm going to mention, as soon as I saw it online, my reaction was absolutely damn straight, Trunk Music. Yeah, that was a good one. And, and that was the one that takes place in Las They're Vegas. Very, and, but, it's all, but that one's very Hollywood, and that's why. But I you know looking back through the list of the books that I've read, he, he works Hollywood division, and there are lots of books that interweave with the entertainment and film industry. So But that's the first one. That's a really good one to go with. So the other one... And I'll let you guess, now that you've watched them all. Oh, and because he's already spent time in Vegas because his wife and his kid are there. Right. So now that you've read them all, I'll let you guess the other one. After having watched season one, which characters to you felt to be more important than they actually seem to be in the books? Were there any characters you felt got more screen time than they should have? On the, in, the sh- in the show, were there characters that got more screen time than i thought they deserved yeah i all right so uh, maybe i maybe because i already know i i'm able to ask the question the drop the drop is the other one yeah i was that was actually going to be my guess was the drop because it it focuses on his boss and hit the his boss's jump and but it but the problem with that is that it's The thing that okay. The thing that I really appreciate about his books also is that the titles make sense in a in a dual fashion. And in that particular case, the drop represents two different things. One, which is somebody jumped and dropped. Wait, but who was it? It was Irving Irving's son, yes the other part of it represents his retirement and coming back onto the force and the amount of time that he's, he gets to stay on the force. So that that part of it, I'm sure they're going to have to pull out because unless they're already thinking of retiring him, I, I don't see that happening. But I absolutely agree. They they did they did spend a lot of time with Irving. And when, when I thought about it, before you mentioned, what you said threw me off, but I immediately thought that that made sense. Um, but... I can't remember if it was trunk music. I can't remember. One of um, them where, maybe it was trunk music, where Bosch poses as Pounds, and that leads Pounds to getting found in his trunk. And Pounds is the one that he pushed through the glass, and I could definitely see them working that in as well because he, I mentioned this to you before, his hate for bosch was ill defined in the show and i think that they need to spend a little bit more time building that but but the amount that they spent with irving and his uh, bureaucratic bullshit is definitely something that they can use with the drop but that's that brings up a really good point cuz i wanted to talk about that one a little bit if you don't mind one of my, one of my issues with that like i book, remember well one of my issues with that book was something that I've seen a little bit in in his in, 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 in some of the other books, which is there is a crime, there there is a murder, and Bosch is called in specifically because he never leaves any stone unturned. He, you know, he everybody counts or nobody counts, and he's going to do his best to find out. But in that book, in the Burning Room in particular. He's called in to do a job that by the people who really shouldn't be calling him in because if they did, they would have been calling in somebody with way less talent to get away with it. I, I don't remember. I, I mean, I don't remember those scenario. aspects. of. It. I do. The, the interesting thing as I was watching uh, the show with, with Amy was looking at all of the characters, Pounds, Irving, Bullets, Edgar... Even Crate and Barrel, that, uh, and, and take, taking some of the characters away who who actually got along with Harry, even just focusing on the ones who didn't get along with them, he outlasted all of them. Right. Throughout the course of the books, good or bad, he outlasted them all. And I, I had mentioned to Amy while we were watching the, the, the show the fact that Despite the fact that Harry and Irving did not get along very well, that when Irving's kid died, Irving called Bosch specifically. Oh, yes. He he did. He respected him enough, but the problem with it was that it was all it was all surrounding a taxicab conspiracy. That's yeah, I'm just reminding you. And it all led back to Daddy Irving's political alliances. And, again, it's a situation where if you didn't want him to find out your secrets, don't pick him to do his job as well as you know he's going to do it. And that was the same thing with the burning room, where he was selected to come find the killer of this mariachi that led all the way back to the ex-mayor. But he was chosen by the mayor's deputy, knowing full well that the mayor knew the whole story. So that was that happens a little bit. And, and that that does and and a way to look at it and I'm not saying it's the right way, a way to look at it is like with the drop Irving. This is his opportunity to finally catch Bosch in a case he can't solve. Mm-hmm. This is the way that he can show Bosch who's the true boss. Maybe. Maybe. I, I'm not saying it's right. Maybe. I'm not saying it's right. Maybe. Um but okay, tell me in the burning room when when um when the politician running for mayor goes on TV and says, everybody counts or nobody counts, how does that make you feel? Well, I liked it when, when Bosch ripped down the poster at the, at the uh, banquet. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I was like, wow, that really sucked. <laughs> An asshole. All right. We're going to take a quick break. All right. We're back. Sorry. Had to refresh our drinks. <laughs> Sorry if you can hear a little bit of the ice tinkling. I actually have a, Um, ice cube that's a huge baseball-sized ice cube, so it shouldn't crinkle that much. Um, So obviously we're still talking about uh, Harry Bosch. There was a question I want to ask you, Phil, now that you've had a chance to read all of them. You've heard me in the previous episodes kind of wax nostalgic about Harry Bosch and to talk, you know, I listen to him, so I feel powerfully, talk powerfully and emotionally about the character, and prior to having read the books, you knew obviously that I read and I was um, a big fan of the character. Now having read them, what's your take on that? Do you have a feeling about the books about Harry Bosch? Are they throwaway novels? Do you do you perceive them to be of a different caliber than you know, kind of the traditional cops or or detective or private eye novels? You know, tell me what your perspective is after having read the full canon at this point. Well, I, I I got started reading the first book because I was at a point where I really couldn't find anything else to read. And, you know, kind of like you had mentioned before on one of your previous podcasts about starting a, a book by, it may have been Peter James, I don't remember, um, about um, being ready to... Um, get yourself involved with a series of, of books with the same character. I was kind of in the same place where I knew that if, once I started the first book, if I enjoyed it, then I would be okay, you know, devoting the time to continuing to catch up and read all these books. So that all being said, um, I, 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 I don't have a huge connection to the character himself anything more than i appreciate his desire to do right and to speak for those who can't speak for themselves and to always you know work as hard as he can to do whatever it takes to solve the mystery and 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 and, and do the right thing um the thing that i really appreciate most about the books really is Connolly's love for the city and his appreciation for the beauty that's in the city that is not normally seen um you know i had the the luxury of of reading all of these books on the kindle and being able to bring up the internet right next to it so i could look at pictures of mariachi square and the burning room and look and see what he's talking about and how the train station now has an overhang that looks like a hawk's wing with colored glass. And I can look at the picture and see it and really feel it. And, um, I pointed out to Heather a couple, couple weeks ago that we should go to jar for dinner because he, I think he picked up from there one night, but he, but it's not so much that Bosch goes to jar and picks up dinner. He goes to jar because they have the best pot roast in the city. And he talks to the owner and her name is, I can't remember what it is, but you look on the internet, that's her name, and you know that's her picture, and um, it happened in the last book as well about going somewhere and having, um, oh, like, I want to say, like, bacon uh, bacon bourbon donuts or something that the woman makes, and I looked on the Yelp, and there's a picture of that woman that he talked about, and, you know, you talk about going to Musso and Frank's and sitting at Harry's table, and when we went there, you did not have chicken pot pie. I mean, I don't blame you, but that's what he would eat. So, I, 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 it's, it's his love and appreciation for the city that we live in, and we've spent, you know, so many hours reading books that take place in places that, that either are fictitious, they don't exist, or places we've never been, or places we've been and we don't remember. But we have the ability now to enjoy the love affair that Michael Connolly has with our city. And that was something that I really, really appreciated and really respected. The other thing that I really like about the stories is for many of them, the uh, the 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 solve of the crime ends up being very simple. But it wasn't simple at the beginning. And in order to get to that solve, Harry had to go not from A to B, he had to go from A to C, solve a different crime that was related, or uncover some other kind of information that never would have been readily available in order to get back to B. So instead of going in a straight line, I, I, I see it more as him going into a bit of like a triangle in order to get to the solve and there are a couple books in particular that I think of on the top of my head that he has such an interesting twist that I never saw coming that I don't I've read enough books that there's, there's rarely a time when there's a twist that really surprises me and there were twice that I can remember where the, there was a twist that I audibly went oh, like I didn't see it coming and it was so inventive that I was really taken aback by. It, it was something that I found was really, really powerful. And um, I'll, I'll come back to those two things later. But um, as I went through, like I said, I enjoyed reading through the generation of Bosch as he got older, as he had to retire, as he tried private life, as he came back, as he being the old man had to go into the old man cases. He, he, after he retired and came back, he wasn't allowed to go back to homicide. He had to go do cold cases because he was being put out to pasture just like these cases were put out to pasture. I enjoyed seeing it from that perspective. I enjoyed reading them back to back to back to back to back. Just from the standpoint, I didn't have to wait a year. You know, now I finished the burning room yesterday. I now I have to wait another five months for the next one. I don't like that. <laughs> That's why I like the binge reading. That's why I like the binge watching. So all of these things were pieces that fit the puzzle of the appreciation that I have for the character and for the author. Now, I mentioned uh, to you before that I had, when, when I got started, I didn't have any understanding or any, inter- uh, I didn't have any information about what Michael Connelly's books were. I just knew Harry Bosch. And then, as I started reading and got more research and started seeing more, I realized that he has different series of books And one of the things that annoyed me was he did crossovers with some of these series that I just wanted to read the Bosch books linearly. And I didn't want to have to stop, go read a different series to catch up, then cross over, and then continue on. That kind of bothered me, but I got used to it. That's to say I'm not going to go back and read The Poet. I don't have any interest. But I read the all the rest of the books that Rachel Walling and Jack were in because they were in Harry Bosch books. I read the first uh, crossover with Mickey Holler, which was um, uh, uh, Brass, Brass The Brass Verdict, right? And I really liked it. And when I wanted to take a break, which was the book after that, I read The Brass Verdict and I read The Nine Dragons. I stopped and I went back and I read The Lincoln Lawyer which was the first Mickey Holler book because I knew going ahead a little further Mickey Holler was going to be back in the reversal which I really, really liked. And now, now that I finished the, that now that I finished The Boss series, I'm going to go back and finish the Mickey Holler series. The standalones, Bloodwork, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll read The Poet someday. I don't know. I've gotten enough from Rachel Walling. I, I, in order to have read that first book, which was uh, which was hang on, uh, no, the Narrows No, a Darkness More in the Night." In order to read a Darkness More in the Night, I had to know a little bit about the poet, and it came out in the beginning of the book. but you know, it's just appreciation for the research, appreciation for the city, appreciation for the character and his desire to do the right thing. And take care of those that can't take care of themselves. I need to call. <laughs> it's um, it's interesting. I'm just gonna say this right now. You got to read the poet. Uh, the poet is when it came out. Obviously, it was just a standalone. It was, I think, the first uh, Michael Connelly book that was not a Harry Bosch book. And um, it was, if I recall correctly, very, very creepy, um, very mm-hmm. suspenseful, and it it ranks up pretty high on lists I've seen it ranks up higher than most of the other Harry Bosch books um, incidentally it also has its own sequel I think is The Scarecrow but um, so, so the, the thing that, that bothers me about it and it doesn't nothing that bothers me about it per se is that in order to read the next book which was in the Bosch series they needed to tell what happened so I know a little bit about what happened and it seems very very similar to one of the James Patterson novels where they're searching for a guy Who's the guy right next to you? The bad guy happened to be on the squad or something, and so. But anyways, go ahead. I, I I don't remember, and unfortunately, that is the downside of binge reading, which is you want to read everything about this one character, so you're not going to delve outside of that that canon. Right. Whereas if you're reading it one at a time, you, whatever the new book is, you're getting it. Yeah. And if it, the new book is a Harry Bosch, great. And if the new book is a Mickey Haller, great. If the new book is a standalone, great. Which is why you end up reading books like Void Moon and Chasing the Dime. Uh, those are standalones. Yeah. I, I mean, those are truly standalones. Uh, but now, it occurs to me, just sitting here talking, thinking about it. Michael Connelly wants us to read him in that order. Yes. I didn't think about that. Yes. I wanted to read the series I wanted to read. I should have read them chronologically in opposition to series. And, and the, the reader, if you read it chronologically, you will get more of the inside jokes, such as there's a scene in whichever book it is, and I can't remember, where Harry Bosch, I think it's Harry, uh, passes some girl... And they don't give the girl's name, they just give a brief description of it. But if you're reading, you and you've been reading all along, you know he's talking about Cassie Black from Void Moon. Whoever and she's not given a name, she's not she's just kind of described in vague terms, but you as the reader, that's your little Easter egg inside joke, he's referring to her. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like you, you feel as if you're being led into a private club because you catch that. That was, in, that was in the drop. And the reason I picked out on it was because the reversal, the end of the reversal was one that bothered me because it was the first one that I'd read that didn't have a clear-cut solution at the end. The deal with the reversal was... They brought in Mickey Holler to prosecute uh, a man who had been in jail for 20 years for murder who said he hadn't done it because the DNA test came back and proved that it wasn't him. But he hired Bosch to be the detective. Ultimately, when it came down to it, Mickey did such a good job of tearing down the main witness for the prosecution that the um, that the the convicted or, you know, yeah, the convicted uh, went nuts and killed his lawyer and his lawyer's assistant in their office at recess. And then they tracked him down and killed him. But it was never solved whether he did or whether he didn't. And one of the things that, that Bosch had found was that while he was out on bail, the convicted had been continuously going to different places in the hills and sitting and for hours at a time and he enlisted rachel walling's help to do a psych profile and rachel said he's visiting the graves he's done this before he's done this before well the last chapter police have visited all these places and digging and they can't find anything but Bosch had done his research and narrowed it down to a handful of women who were still missing from that time period that he had, this guy had supposedly done his killing and felt strongly in his heart that these women were buried in the places that the convicted was was visiting but it didn't happen it ended it didn't it didn't pan out because the guy killed himself that was it the book ended and in the next book, he's wanting, He sees somebody like you just said, and I I imagine that it was probably one of the women that he thought was missing from the previous book. Uh, yeah, it very well could be. Connolly is is notorious for throwing those Easter eggs in his books, and it's. I think he does it as a way to kind of give a wink and a nod to those people who have been dedicated followers since the beginning. Um, I think that some of the books. Uh, especially, I think that "A Darkness More Than Night" was the first real crossover, which was a crossover between yeah. Bloodwork and and the that Harry Bosch. Was, that was the first one that bothered me because Bosch was a, a tertiary character. <laughs> yeah, um, and he was. I, I remember some interaction that Terry McCaleb and Bosch had in an elevator or something like that. But I think that was that was Connolly's way of of kind of rewarding his readers who stayed with him, even though. They weren't just Harry Boschbergs. He was now going into different characters saying, okay, I know you stayed with me and you made this book successful and Harry Bosch wasn't in it. I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to show you how I connect them because that's your reward. I'm going to show you how I connect them. And when I explained to Amy that using the terminology, Titus Welliver and Matthew McConaughey are half brothers, the answer is, what are you talking about? Right. Like, no, no, no. Harry Bosch yeah. and Mickey Holler are half brothers. Mm. And it's it's a foreign concept, but I think it was a way that, whether Michael Connelly anticipated or intended it at when he started the series, that this is what was going to happen, or even when he started the Lincoln Lawyer series, that he was going to connect them, I think it was his way of saying, I'm going to reward you, my readers, who stayed with me when I went on my tangents, when I took more risks. Right. I know... You know, obviously Michael. He knows that if he puts out a Harry Bosch book, he's going to get a lot of sales. But are his readers going to stay loyal to him when he goes out and takes on a brand new character? And he took those chances, whether it was with Bloodwork or Void Moon or even The Lincoln Lawyer, which was a standalone at the time. And the reception of his readers and the ability to garner new readers. He says to to the new readers great, thank you for embracing Mickey Haller, I'm going to give you more Mickey Haller books. To the rest of you who could have said, not a Harry Bosch, I'm not going to read it, who instead said, it's Michael Connelly, I'll read it, I'm going to reward you guys, and I'm going to connect them, and you guys are going to feel the same connection to Mickey Haller that you felt to Harry Bosch. Right. And I think that was that's something that, you know, I, I'm jealous of you having the opportunity to read all these books back to back, and yet... I wouldn't change my reading experience at all because I feel that I have a, a longer emotional connection to the character because sure. it's built over 20 yeah. years as opposed to over the course of 3 or 4 months. You're right. And you know you you bring up a really good point about uh about you know Connolly's love for the character but even more his love for his his audience and his readers and and you know Giving them, you know, these little gifts, and and I th- I think you're totally right, and that's why it, you know just dawned on me that they are intended to be read chronologically, and not intended to be read series order. And you know, if I come across something of this nature in the future, I will you know maybe think think <laughs> twice. But you'd asked me earlier about what it was about the books and what my feeling was, and I went on this long monologue about how I felt. But there was one other thing that it just occurred to me when you were talking about darkness more than night one of the things that occurred to me that I really, really appreciated about the series so far, which is it's very common at least my perspective is it's very common for authors to write about a single character in multiple books and make every mystery personal and Connolly has been very, very good at making every one of the stories impersonal to Bosch, making it not about him making it not something personal that he needs to solve in order to save his own ass but to do something right that needs to be done for the people that for 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 the every man that deserves to have their mystery solved except for a darkness more than the night but the difference with that is it's If you look at it, if you look at that one, if you take a step backwards and say, this isn't a Harry Bosch book, it's a Terry McKayla book, then you realize it's not personal. It's personal because Terry knows Bosch, but it's not a Bosch novel. And I'm going to remind you just a little bit. It was a misdirect by a a court case that Harry was the investigator on, but person piece of the puzzle led to Hieronymus Bosch, whether it was the artwork because it led Terry to the Getty Center to investigate Hieronymus Bosch artwork, to Terry visiting Harry in his house and seeing the Bosch painting on the wall and the liturgy that goes along with it in the history of Hieronymus Bosch, the painter. That was as personal as Connolly would get. And it served the story for the greater good. And it was not personal to Bosch because he didn't know what was going on. He was being investigated by Terry. It was personal to us, the reader, as the Bosch fan going, you can't do that. Th- it's not him. Terry, you don't understand. You're coming from a different world. You're coming from the Bloodwork series. You're not coming from the Bosch series. This is not personal. Leave him alone. But you were able to take that and through through that... Connolly was able to explain, not really explain, but um, share more of the history of Hieronymus Bosch the painter as a metaphor for Hieronymus Bosch the detective. And I really, really appreciated that. I didn't like it at the time. I like it more now. And the TV show did a very, very poor job of explaining any of that. Right. I mean, well, they didn't have they didn't have to, but there is an answer for how he got his name. If you took a poll of the millions of people who watch the show and asked them, "What's his, what's Bosch's first name?" They would tell you Harry, of course, of course. It's but important. there's but there's well, they'll, you know, uh, they'll get to it. They'll get to it in the second series. See, you say it's not important, and I say that's a very important piece of who he is. Not in the first season. In the second season, it will be. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see. Okay. So you mentioned you mentioned before before you knew the books that were going to be in the second series, that second season. You and I talked about this and you said from the beginning, last Cody would be a great one for the third season. And I told you you can't wait that long. I said you've got people wrapped up in the first season, you're going to make them wait a year to see the next season. You have to keep them interested. You have to it it's almost like you don't want to suffer from the sophomore, what's slump. It? sophomore slump, right? So you have to go with your cleanup hitter in the second season. Yeah, I don't know, and I, I-, I look at it and saying you've got to it has it, got to be a slow burn. You have to build the intensity, and you have to build the connection. All right, Prison Break. Oh, what, what what about Prison Break? The first season of Prison Break was great. And then they spent four years screwing around until they finally solved it. It languished and it left forever. If they just solved it in the second season, you would have been a lot better off. That's true, but then they wouldn't have had a rest of the series. Yeah, but it would have been much more much more palatable for me. All right, I yeah I agree, but I I still think you gotta you gotta you gotta bring the audience to you. You have to make it so that Harry's eventual solving of his mother's murder has not just satisfaction to him, but satisfaction to you because you've been living in his shoes and seeing the world through his eyes, the eyes of an orphan who doesn't know who killed his prostitute mother. You need to feel the emotional release when he finally solves the case. And I just think that taking it letting two seasons go by where you show Harry in his element season three is a perfect time to do that to release to make it more about Harry you met you made you, you made a very good statement the books the crimes that Harry solves are not personal to him in fact that's what's that that's what keeps Harry different from everybody else yeah. is that he treats every murder the same whether it's a prostitute he makes or it personal. He makes them personal. He That's makes them personal because right. he takes it as a personal affront. Right. How dare you kill somebody? In my it city. It doesn't matter who it is. Right. How dare you kill somebody? Right. That person matters. Right. Whether it's a prostitute, a streetwalker, a Hollywood uh, producer, or the, the, the police commissioner's son, whoever it is. It matters. Because it matters to somebody. And if nobody is out there saying it matters to me, then Harry's the one saying it matters to me. But you finally have a situation where it does matter to Harry on a personal level. And I'm thinking you need to develop the connection to the character so that you as a viewer feels the emotional release that he will feel upon solving a murder that finally really does mean something to him. That's why I've said episode uh, season three now. Am I predicting the future that season two will, will resolve the issue of his mother's death? No, I don't know. I don't know. I I know it's the, the same way that season one was City of Bones and uh, Echo Park and parts of Concrete Blonde. And the parts were the, the courtroom testimony. Which had nothing to do with the Concrete Blonde itself. It was just the reason to get him onto the stand to talk about his procedures which by the way is an ingenious way of giving an immediate backstory to him Yeah. because when i saw episodes one and two in the theater at the cinerama dome with people who were not familiar with the books there it was noticeable when he mentioned that his mother was a prostitute who had been murdered you could hear because we were sitting in the front row you could hear the murmuring from behind us that's powerful yeah that, by the way, you need to drag out. Right. And, and you saw in episode six or seven where, um, where the, the bad guy, Raynard Waits, um, sets up the, the hooker in the dumpster and says to Harry, I'm making this personal. It's about you. Right. You need to, I perceive, you need to throw in a little bit more of that to draw the viewer in to the point where there is this emotional release. And, and again, I'm speculating. Yeah. The way that it was pitched... For season one, was Echo Park and City of Bones with parts of Concrete Bond. Concrete Bond. This, the second season, trunk music and the drop with parts of Last Coyote. So I don't know. I, I envisioned a full <clears throat> 10 episode arc devoted to most of The Last Coyote. Whether they'll do that or not, no, I don't know. So, oh, sorry. So you. you now, now that we've talked about it and you've mentioned the three books that they're going to pull from for the second season. I mentioned earlier about the two times in his his books that I was surprised and, you know, uh, seriously taken with with what happened. And one of them was from the drop. And now that we've been discussing it, I know exactly how they're going to end season two. So in a year, we're going to listen to this I'm gonna prove to you that I'm right. And the only reason we can do this is because I just read the book. The drop Didn't it take place at the Chateau Marmont? Yeah, that was that was the first, that was where he drummed from. Okay. He's while he's working this case, he's working a cold case. A DNA hit from blood on a belt came back positive for a currently registered sex offender. The problem is that at the time of the murder, he was nine. Oh. So in Harry's investigation, he finds out that the the belt that was used to strangle, that was used to strangle the woman, and this was in 1989 or something, the belt that was used to strangle the woman that had this blood, little blood drop on it. The belt was actually used by the murderer to beat his girlfriend's son. Ultimately, they find the the son, and he's living in a halfway house for um, uh, for, for convicted sex offenders who are trying to get their lives back together, and he's been trying to get his life back together. And through the investigation, Harry and his partner, uh, Chew, I think it's Chew, um, find the actual killer. And he had, uh, he, next door to his house, was a, a kill den with, with, <coughs> with evidence from 40 other murders. And <clears throat> they arrest him and he's set to be arraigned and he's gonna be taken down the courthouse Tuesday morning for his arraignment. And Bosch calls the halfway house to check on this sex offender, the 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 kid. And now the woman who works there that he started dating says he never he never came home last night. And well, what do you mean well, he, he didn't come home? I mean, he doesn't have to come home, but, you know, he did it. So he starts calling around and finds out that he this guy deliberately walked up to a policeman and started a fight with him and got arrested. And knowing that the um, those that are being transported from the city jail to the courthouse to be arraigned are seated... Uh, uh, are segregated in their seating, he knew that he was going to get seated next to this guy who he blamed for ruining his life. And when Bosch figured this out, he hightailed it to where the bus was going to be. He got on the bus just as our offender had his leg shackles or arm hand shackles around the the mass murderer's neck. And Bosch stopped it. And the end of the book is him in his house going what did I do he was and this is the thing that, that is so interesting about the character this is that one part I'm getting chills right now because it was so emotional for me to read this is that one thing about the character that he no matter what the the right thing to do is he does the right thing right thing versus legal thing what he should have done was let this kid kill him. First of all, it would have saved the taxpayers a boatload of money from trying to prosecute a guy who'd, who'd killed over 40 people. Second of all, it would have allowed this kid some sort of relief from the life that he had been caused. This kid had become a sex offender because of the offense that had been posed on him when he was a child. He was castrated in jail. His whole life was nothing because of what this man did to him. Now he had that chance to rectify it and seek the revenge. Bosch stopped it. Not only that, he was going back to jail for it, for assault on an officer and then attempted murder on the bus to the, to the courthouse. So the end of the book is Bosch dealing with this psychologically, going, what what did I do? And the answer was, he didn't think about what he was doing. He just did what was the right thing to do. The right thing to do is, that man should stand trial for what he did. And that man should not be allowed to kill that man, even though he deserves it. That's the right thing to do. The end of season two is going to end with that on the bus, Bosh comes home. Who am I? W- what did I do? Tom. Yeah, yeah, you may be right. And, and that, by the way, who would Harry be if he had done anything different? Harry, whose motto is "Everyone counts or no one counts," that includes the prostitute, includes includes the junkie, and it includes the the mass murderer. Yep. If he. If he compromises his position, if he compromises his beliefs mm-hmm. and says, I shouldn't have stopped it, it's okay for that person, then he basically is undoing everything that makes him who he is. You're right. um, and and, and that's I think why. that's why the second season is going to end like that. And you, you may be right. You may be right. I think it's a very interesting, not. I need to call them and get a job writing on this show. It's not a cliffhanger, but it. it the, the the aspect of the Harry Bosch stories that I really hope comes out a lot more in the future seasons is the true demons that Harry is faced with. And it didn't come out that much. It came out a little. There were scenes where you saw um, flashbacks of Harry in the orphanage and running down the hall and getting beaten up and stuff like that. So you saw it. But you, you had some of the books, some of them were very just straightforward, police procedurals, nothing to them. But some of the books were, were really much more about the psychological insight into who Harry was and what motivated him. And I think this is a very good indication of what motivates him. He would feel as if he not only failed himself, but failed everybody who came before him and made him who he was if he had compromised his beliefs in this one situation, everyone counts or no one counts. That doesn't mean we pick and choose. Right. You're okay to we'll, we'll solve your murder, but you you're a really bad guy. We're not going to solve your murder, and that's that's who he is, and that makes him different from I think a lot of other characters. Um, you just don't see a lot of that these days. You see, um, you know, for example, uh, I, I recently read the very first um, Spencer book by Robert Parker. Spencer for Hire, the very first book, written in, like, 1971 or something like that. And, you know, he cares about the characters, yada, yada, and then the book ends, and that's it. There's no real depth to it. Um, There's no real depth to a lot of the other books. You know, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Kellerman and his Alex Delaware books. There's no real depth. You know, there's maybe one book where the the issues or the, the bad guys actually came to his doorstep. Um, that he was put in danger. Right. You know, They try and create drama by creating this idea that he's in danger, but it doesn't really ever personally affect him, certainly not the last 20 books he's written, maybe the first five or ten. But for Harry, every case has that connection for him. Every case has that, that focus, and, and you saw it even perhaps more so when he went to the open unsolveds. Mm-hmm. where he felt like he was the last person in the world who could it's finally speak 40. for these people. Yeah. And I think that, that made The Open Unsolves even that much more impressive and, and um, uh, compulsive to read because this is kind of what he he feeds off of. Mm-hmm. This is what makes him who he is. This concept that if he doesn't solve it, no one can, and these people will never get the justice they deserve. And so, you as a reader can say, "I'm okay with the tactics he employs. I'm okay when he steals somebody's uh, uh, badge. I'm okay in the burning room when he sneaks into the lieutenant's office and steals whatever it was. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something. And that's what oh, ends up. But that's what ends up burning him at the end of the book, pun intended." Yeah. That's what gets him caught. Is even though he solved this case that was unsolvable and the the Mariachi case was a was a cold case, yeah. right? I mean it was years before. He solves the case and you as the reader sit there and think, you know what? I would much rather have somebody like him solving my case than any of the other guys who are much more concerned about procedure and and I following know. the rules yeah. and make sure you follow all the procedures. Right. I'd rather have somebody who says the only thing that matters is giving this person justice. Right. Whether it's the, the burning room or the black box, which takes place at the, the riots. Right. Um, that's who he is. And that's a part of the, the TV show that I don't know came across enough. I just don't know if it came across enough. It's hard to perceive him turning on his girlfriend, you know, the, 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 um, whatever her name was, the Annie, uh, um, the, the new cadet, the new recruit, the rookie, whatever it was, you know, he turns on her, he turns on her because he realizes that the interpersonal relationship she has with her is not as important as solving those cases, solving those crimes, solving those murders and finding out whose bones those are. That's the number one thing. and, I don't know whether it came across as well in the, in the TV show. That's, again, another reason why I think you get another season where you can really see that that season three, he finally finds out who kills his mother. It feels more important to the viewer. That's, you know, that's my thought. Now, one of the things you mentioned earlier about Los Angeles, at the um, event where Connolly spoke, he mentioned Los Angeles, and he said that they were not going to let any other city double as Los Angeles. They filmed everything here. It was just as important to make Los Angeles a character in the TV show as it was to make Los Angeles a character I, in the books. I feel, that's exactly what I said. I feel that, that Los Angeles is just as big a character as, as Harry is. And and that's the way Michael Connolly wants it, even though he doesn't want to live here anymore. Oh, really? I think he lives in Miami. Yeah. Um, but that, and yeah, that's... No, but you know, there's a uh, uh, one of the Mickey Haller books. Was it a Mickey Haller book where it starts out with Mickey at opening day? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was. Um, uh, that was. That was Lincoln Lawyer. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, it starts didn't out. Start there, but yeah, it, he's there when his investigator is killed. Right. Yeah. So, uh, had you have you seen the Lincoln Lawyer movie? Okay, you gotta watch it. It Was a good. it was it. good. But the the characters in the books, his ex wife who's his receptionist Marissa and Mr Tomei. Oh no, not that. Yeah, that that's the right. other ex wife, yeah. No, Marissa Tomei yeah. plays the uh the district Man attorney. Fier- Fier- Maggie Mag- McPherson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but no no the ex was it the ex wife who's his receptionist and her her motorcycle boyfriend? Um, you know, it's pretty good characters. I I like the much more colorful than Harry Bosch comes into contact with. Totally. 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 But the the next book that will be released in November, December will be a crossover. Well, I'm catching up because the next one I'm reading is the, the next Mickey Haller book. So which is what the fifth witness. Oh, that's a good one. I remember that one. And, And, and that one, by the way, feeds in very well to what you mentioned earlier, where the title of the book has a dual purpose. The Fifth Witness, it's very evident that the title of the book has... Spoiler alert. No, no, because, you know what, even though you... Look, I've read however many books there are, and it still catches me off guard when I discover why it's called what it's called. Right. Um, So, anyways... So we, what I hoped would be only about twenty minutes, is now turned into an hour and ten. You know, do you want to talk about any other books? Do You want to keep going? Is there anything else you've? I we've read a couple of books in common over the last couple of months. What do we read? Uh, well, we read *Girl on a Train*. Oh yeah. Um, you already talked about that, didn't you? No, I haven't talked about that at all. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Tell me what you think. Uh, well, I recommended *The Girl on a Train* to you just because I had recommended *Gone Girl* to you before as well um the thing that uh i liked it but uh this is what i i i mentioned to you and this is what i mentioned to heather as well because she just finished it too which was the resolution at the end is very weak in comparison to the journey to get there i thought that the way that it was written and the different perspectives that you get through the course of the book was much more interesting and I was a little disappointed with the ending considering the way that um, Gone Girl came to an end. That I was really, really hoping that it wasn't the guy's fault. (laughs) Because I was really happy in Gone Girl that it wasn't really the guy's fault. And I was like, finally, a book that's not a man-hating book. But this one kind of was. But at that point, it didn't bother me as much because I thought that the journey was so interesting reading a book in first person from three different perspectives all in a non-linear fashion was really fascinating to me and I can definitely see how it will be a good movie but I think that that audiences are going to be disappointed with the ending. Um, So I had been aware of Girl on a Train long before you'd read it. Um, It was on all of the... um, the the keep your eyes open, this book is coming list. Most anticipated. It was really amongst the most anticipated books of, of- the of 2014 um and so i was aware of it i know people magazine did a little spread about it entertainment weekly did a little spread about it saying you gotta watch you gotta watch out for this book it's it's the big one um and it felt a lot like gone girl i agree and i i was gonna read it anyways after your recommendation i i moved it to the top of the list in fact um amy had put in a request at the library to find out how long to wait and it was something like 60 or 70 people long just to, to get it out of the library. library. That was, yeah, it was the library. Um, so I ended up buying it and I read it. Um, I liked the three different the perspectives of it. I did. Um, the resolution to me was not that surprising. Right. Um, but the part about it that bothered me, um, and it wasn't a bothered me in a bad way, it was a, it just, it made me feel real dirty. I mean, none of the characters are nice. None of the characters are likable. your hero, and I use that in air quotes Rachel okay. um, she's not particularly sympathetic or, or you as a reader are not sympathetic to her plight. I mean she's a she's a, a uh, um, she's a self-destructor yeah. um, whether it is the self-destruction that she brought on, uh, or the destruction she brought on herself that created the ending of her marriage, did or she, the alcoholism. Did she bring that on, or did her husband force it upon I, her? See, I don't know. And, and I, I, it, I, don't, the, I, I don't know either. I'm just saying that's a, different, that's a perspective that you could take. So That's for sure, but I'm looking at it from her perspective, which is she's the victim, right. and she's done nothing to prevent it and she keeps riding this train every day even though she lost her job and did she, she goes know that until, No, like, of I course did? not. But That's right. but the drinking and the and the <clears throat> it just it, the the I think as uh, after it was over the the one general statement I had about the book was there are no likable characters in the book. I just feel dirty. So so I mentioned that the the thing that that bothered me about it was that it was a, a man-hating book because ultimately it came down to an, an asshole husband who, you know, was was perpetuating this kind of hatred and fear on his wives. Yeah. Um, the flip side of that is this wasn't no damsel in distress book either. <laughs> the chicks were all fucking crazy too. And I kind of appreciated that because it led you down this path going... Mm, I'm not really sure I'm really going down this path. Am I going down a different path? And they're misleading me. And that leads us back to the, um, the the trait that you had mentioned in a couple of podcasts in the past about an unreliable narrator. That's what led me to Gone Girl and recommending to you. That's what led me to recommending this to you as well because you're, you're, you're not reading from the perspective of an unreliable narrator. You're reading from the perspective of of a narrator who is unreliable about herself and i thought that that was very interesting technique that was a very interesting trait that that definitely propelled the story to the point where i finished a chapter oh it's another it's another one of the ladies i need to keep reading i need to see what's going on here and like i said in a non-linear fashion putting all the puzzle pieces together to the point where ultimately everything comes together like oh now i see I I agree with you, and that was actually something I hadn't really thought about, because Gone Girl, the first half, is a true, unreliable narrator, and and she is specifically and deliberately misleading you. Yep. In this book, Girl on a Train, she's not specifically... She she doesn't remember. She thinks it's right. She has no clue. She was drunk. She passed out. She blacked out. She doesn't remember how she got here. She doesn't remember where she... So... It's and it it's makes, definitely and, makes, different. And, and 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 that plot line makes her unreliable as a character, because anybody that talks to her, and wants to know her story, her response is, "I was drunk, I don't remember." Well, right. I can't trust you. Right, and that, <laughs> but I felt as if it was a much more fair treatment of the unreliable narrator. I've read books before where the unreliable narrator doesn't play fair. It's Just to fuck with you. It's just to mess with you. This was not this was truly a situation where she didn't even she couldn't even trust herself yeah and that i i did appreciate more but still as soon as the book was over i needed to go take a shower these are all just nasty nasty despicable people who were really uncomfortable and dirty and made you feel icky and yeah i mean even the resolution where the bad guy is killed and yet The ex-wife and the current wife have to somehow agree that they're going to coexist with the knowledge that, you know, they know what really happened. It's just like an unsettling feeling like, uh, okay, you're probably right. I know. So uh, what else? Uh, Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, Oh, you know what? On the last on our last podcast, I was just starting Unbroken. Oh, okay. So uh, I read that. I liked it. My issue with it was that they didn't spend enough time on the piece that I was most interested in, and she spent most time on the brutality of the POW camps. What piece were you most interested in? His redemption. Mm -hmm. He came back, and you know, the first third of the book is him becoming an Olympic, his 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 childhood becoming an Olympian. The next more than a third it seemed like the next three quarters were the war and the POW camps and the torture that he he endured. Maybe the last fifty pages were him coming back, him getting married, him becoming a drunk, him becoming redeemed, him become him finding God, him becoming a motivational speaker and and then ultimately him. Attempting to resolve with his captor. His captor didn't want anything to do with him, which, from what I understand, is shown in the movie. I but I was more interested in his redemption story. And as detailed as the author was in his captivity, was how detailless his redemption story was. The thing I remember about the, about the book, and I read it <clears throat> quite a while ago, is that it felt really clinical. That the author, right. in writing it, didn't seem to be a lot of emotion or, or connection to the character. Character is a bad word. I mean, the, the individual himself. That it just seemed as if she was telling a story about somebody she'd never met. And you got to assume, because he was still alive, even up to right before when the movie came out, that she had done interviews with him and had gotten his story. And there didn't seem to be any connection between the author and her her muse, her main character. And that was sort of off-putting to me. I, when we first discussed this when I finished the book, I used this word to describe how it felt Reading it, I felt like I was reading a eulogy, and not just a eulogy. I felt I was reading a eulogy that a, a an officiant would be reading at a funeral when he hasn't met the deceased. That's interesting because if you think about the author and the previous book that she had written was about a horse, and horse she wrote. She wrote Seabiscuit. Oh yeah, yeah. and um for lack of any better uh description, horses don't have feelings. I know they have feelings. Horses can't describe to anybody what their feelings are. Shit. Yeah. And so she treated her main character like she treated her main character like he was a horse. Yeah. It was just a recitation of events. But he was. He was a runner. I uh, know. <laughs> right. Was too. She, she just focuses on the long distance runners. She changed, she changed the names from Seabiscuit and turned this one in. Yeah. Whether they be uh, uh, runners who are long distance miles or they run in furlongs, it's the same same issue. All right. So that was Unbroken. What, have you seen the movie yet, by the way? No. We I, haven't, um, I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet. No. I haven't either. Well Okay. What else? Gangsterland. Oh. This you want to talk about Gangsterland now? That's a way bigger Oh, story. my God. We're going to have to do that on a different it, situation. That it was, it was my favorite book of last year. It was so good. I, I, Yes, I've recommended it to everybody, and it was absolutely wonderful, and I, I can't do it enough justice in the limited amount of time we have left. Um, other than all of the Harry Bosch books and The Lincoln Lawyer, which was the first Mickey Holler book, other than the two other Holler books that he was in with Harry Bosch, The other book that I read was called Finding Rebecca by... I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's first name. Eoin Dempsey. Um, This was a book bub deal of the day. $1.99. Completely... No, I don't want to... I was going to say completely implausible, but it's really not. Because you know during World War II anything could have happened um, and actually to tell you the truth it's not impossible at all but I really really enjoyed this book and I got about halfway into it and I was pissed and then I was like well oh, fuck it I just better finish it because I got nothing else to do and then maybe 50 pages later I was a little less pissed but still kind of disappointed and then I cried at the end. And I was a little. <laughs> and then I was just pissed off at myself. Um, but I really like this one. Um, the, the idea is um, a German guy falls in love with a Jewish girl who. And it's not really a falls in love. They became friends when they were like seven or eight. And he didn't know he had fallen in love with her. But she gets. This is in the mid to late 30s and she gets taken and gets sent to a concentration camp and he through connections through his uncle joins the SS in order to find her and he gets stationed at Auschwitz and the interesting thing about this book and we've talked about this we talked about this with the Odessa file which is looking at the Holocaust from a German's perspective in this particular case learning about Auschwitz and learning about the Holocaust from the perspective of an SS officer that doesn't want to be there and had no idea that any of this was going on until he got there. So the scenes in the Holocaust, or I'm sorry, the scenes in the concentration camp itself are very difficult at times to read. But what he is able to do and how he's able to manipulate his position, it definitely makes it a reward at the end, even though it's very romanticized. And that's the part where halfway through, I was pissed off. And then 50 pages later, I was a little less pissed off because it became really romanticized. But then at the end, like I said, I cried. So it's an interesting storytelling the perspective of an SS officer in a concentration camp not knowing slash not believing that any of that was going on and then having to be first person in the front line of it was an interesting place to be put but it is a romance it is a love story there is some misdirect which is what pissed me off but ultimately like I said very rewarding and a very very good read sounds interesting i think i'll i want to check that out um uh yeah that sounds um there's there's a book that was um on the top 10 lists of last year called um i think it was called all the light we cannot see and it was um truly on like the top the top 10 lists of every major outlet new york times and time and whatever it was um and it takes place during the the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties in France, and I think it's a, a relationship between a, a German and a French German man, French woman, and it's it's gotten such fantastic reviews, and it's something that I I want to check out. and And when it comes in paperback, I'll probably end up picking it up. But this sounds very similar to that, and it it's a it's a part of history that is certainly not underserved. I mean, there's a, a significant amount of Holocaust books, but Anytime an author can figure out a way to kind of turn the story and give you a different perspective, because we've seen so many of it, so many books that are from the perspective of the 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 um, the afflicted, the victims, the victims. Yeah. Um, to see it from the other side, um, it, it would be very interesting to to pick up. So I, I think that's something I might I want to take off. I've I've done you know a significant amount of reading, um, but the, I mean, the major tome that I've been reading, I've been reading Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, whatever it is, and I mean, that's a, a that's going to be a whole different episode because it's almost 1,200 pages, and it feels truly like the longest book I've ever read. I mean, it, it's I'm at the point now where I'm a little bit more than 200 pages left, and it feels like the longest book I've ever read um you know we read the stand uh last year a couple of years ago and that was 1400 yeah, pages or something quick. like that and that went quick this one is 1100 the, the one I, I have two actually i have three books three versions of the book two paperbacks and a hardcover the hardcover is 1170 pages the paperback is 1070 pages and i've kind of been alternating behind the between the two um but it feels like the longest book I've ever read. Why are you alternating between the two? You take the paper back to the bathroom and you use the hardcover when you're in bed? What? Well, so the reason why I alternated between the two, I'm reading this because it was recommended to me by a friend of mine. Is this person still a friend? <laughs> yeah. Um, she gave the book to me and it was a hardcover. She gave me the hardcover and she gave this to me actually like two years ago. And I've had it on my bookshelf since then. She's saying for two years, how's the book? You're saying, I'm still reading it. No, I'm saying I haven't <laughs> started it yet. Um, and so it's it's huge. It's massive. It's a doorstop. And I said, okay, I got to read this book, but there's no way I'm going to read it in hardcover. It's just too freaking heavy. So I go to the used bookstore, and I pick up the paperback, used. And I and go, okay, I'll uh, put it on the shelf. And then I finally get to the point where I'm ready to read it and I go pick up the paperback that I got used. And the pages are so yellowed and the writing is so small. And I it's say, a it's so small. And I go, I can't read a, a, a 10, a thousand or 1100 1, page book with yellowed pages and the writing this small. I'll go to Barnes & Noble and I'll get the paperback version, brand new copy. So I get it. It's probably free on the Kindle. It probably is. Um, and so I, I take it home and I start reading. And I'm reading it out of the paperback. And it, it feels like I'm reading for two hours. And I've only Four. I've only <laughs> gotten 20 pages in. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. It feels like I never turn the pages. So I take out the hardcover. And it's longer, but that also means that the pages are shorter. So I do most of the reading on the hardcover. I hold the hardcover when I'm reading in bed or when I'm reading downstairs on the couch. And if I do end up going to the office and reading the office or I go to court and I end up sitting outside a courtroom reading, I'm reading the paperback. What I also did was the book is separated into three sections. So after each section, I make myself a deal. Oh, I take a break. <laughs> <office. Yeah. laughs> so after the first section, I took a break and I read the, the Spencer for Hire book. After the second section, I took a break and I read The Girl in Apartment Six E. The Girl in Six yeah. E, which was really good. It was yeah. it was kind of erotic and, and uncomfortable, but it was it was it was pretty good. And now I'm in section three, I got about two hundred pages left. And it will be one of those situations where I'll say, I'm glad I read it, but I'm glad I never have to again. That good, huh? Uh, it's she's still a friend? Yeah, yeah, she's still a friend. Um, so I think what I'll do is I'll probably finish that within the next couple of weeks <laughs> we have 200 pages left uh, I'll probably finish that within within the next couple of days and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that at a, a whole nother time that's going to be a whole nother Oprah um, but uh, anything else you want to add? Any, anything you're reading right now. I just told you I'm reading the, I'm starting The Fifth Witness next. Oh, okay. So you're starting The Fifth Okay. So, so maybe in a, in a, in a month or two, we'll catch up on, on some of those others. Uh, in the meantime, you have a preview. We'll probably spend the next episode talking about, uh, Atlas Shrugged, uh, a book that I've seen forever and ever and ever and never wanted to read. And even when I started reading it, I didn't want to read it. And now that I've almost done with it, I'm still not sure that I want to read it. Um, and I'm still Uh, More importantly, I can't figure out how it's a science fiction book, Um, but that's that. Uh, Yeah, I know you're 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 rolling your eyes, but it's it's supposedly science fiction. Um, So that's it. Yeah, go ahead and watch the movie. They haven't really made any movie. I looked this up on IMDb.com. The only version of Atlas Shrugged that they made into movie was some three-part movie that made no money, and each of the three parts had different casts. Go figure. still take you less time. It probably would. Uh, so anyways, this is Rob Cohen for Book Therapy. Find me, BookTherapy13. That's Twitter. Uh, BookTherapy13 at, Gmail, book at gmail.com. Uh, obviously, you can find me on Goodreads at RobCohen13. And uh, thanks to Phil for hanging out for the last hour and a half. And thank you for uh, letting me lie on your couch.